This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available from late Wednesday evenings on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and the iHeartRadio website and app. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be catching up with one of the star signings for St Kilda and the AFLW, former Lion in Kate McCarthy. Also on the way, AFL Ireland women's Michael Corain joins us for the first time. And coach Kiwi is back with her kiss of death for another season. But first, it's time for the latest women's footy news. We begin with injury news. An All-Australian defender, Meg McDonald, will miss half a season for the Cats owing to a broken finger. Over at the D's, their star midfielder, Lily Mithin, will be out for the first three matches of the season with an ankle injury. And they're facing a ruck crisis over at Fremantle after the departures of Paris Laurie and Alicia Jantz to West Coast. Their Irish rookie, Anya Tai, has torn her left ACL and will miss the season. Also in AFLW news, the league has signed a three-year partnership with a fossil fuels company. Overseas in the Western European Australian Football Women's League has announced its three dates for 2020. Round one will be in Paris on March 7th, round two in Cologne on May 16th and round three in Amsterdam on June 20th. The competing teams being the Amsterdam Devils, Paris Cockerels and Rhineland Tigers. And also the USAFL has announced its newest club it's a women's club out of Colorado. In fact, just a short drive out of Denver, being the Centennial Tigers. And now to our featured guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. She's one of the Saints' star AFLW signings. She's an All-Australian, two-time AFLW grand finalist and proud owner of Nacho. It's great to have on the line, Kath with a K, Kate McCarthy. How are you, Kate? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. How are you going? Not too bad at all. And uh, how was your first Melbourne winter, by the way? It was very, very, very cold. (laughs) (laughs) Is it not still winter? Like, it's still freezing here. (laughs) Welcome to the city of four seasons in one day. Before we talk about all things Saints, and I know you must be excited for this uh, Sunday taking on the Bulldogs at RSCA Park, I want to step back through time to reintroduce you to our listeners. Back to 2015, the first time you switched from playing touch rugby to Aussie Rules in the QWAFL. How did that come about, you pulling on the boots with Yoronga South Brisbane? Um, yes, I was pretty much playing um, touch footy at the time up in Queensland, um, and I think I was... I'd played footy for about, I think, 10 or 12 years, and I was just getting a little bit, I think, bored of it, I suppose. Um, I'd played it for so long, and I was kind of looking for a new challenge. And then one of my mates had just started playing AFL, and she was telling me about how much she'd loved it. So at first, I kind of just went along to a training session thinking that I I probably wouldn't play. I'd go along to train to get a little bit more fitness. Um, And then the girls were actually short that weekend that I was um, playing or training with. so I decided to, yeah, pull on the boots and have a game. And I don't think I'd played another game of touch football after that and haven't stopped playing AFL ever since. And as you mentioned, you were a bit bored and looking for something more competitive. It wasn't like you were just playing social touch football. You actually represented Australia. Yes, I was playing for Australia at the time. Um, 
And yeah, I kind of just felt like, I don't know, you get a little bit stagnant in the things that you do. And I was looking for, for something new and add a little bit of, I guess, a different challenge. Um, and then the physicality of, of AFL really stood out to me the first game that I played. And I thought it was really cool that you could get in and, and have a crack at things off the ball and, and play a whole different style of, of game as well as the field being massive and just so many different little aspects going on within the game and, and that really appealed to me when I started playing. Now, touch football, of course, is out of the rugby code. The only difference being uh, the contact element. Obviously, Carlton have picked up a, a number of uh, former rugby sevens players. Can you give an insight from your point of view of what are the assets you're able to take out of that game to cross over to Australian football? Yeah, well, um, I think even though it seems like such a different um, game, in touch, there's such quick reaction times. So everything happens in close. It's on pretty much like half the size of a, of a rugby field. Um, and, yeah, it's a really, really high-speed game, so really high intensity. So the speeds that you hit are really quick. It's like a short, sharp game compared to AFL that I suppose is a bit more aerobic. But um, I think just the decision-making, you have to make decisions so much quicker in touch footy. So having a little bit more time, that's, that really translates over nicely because obviously you've got a few different things to do that are happening on an AFL field, but the quicker you can make a decision, probably the better the outcome of the decision as well. So that was something that really translated well, as well as um, I think drawing an opponent in touch. It's really important that before you, I guess, make a decision or do what you're going to do, you need to draw a defender. Um, and I think that's really, really important in AFL. There's no point in you doing something if you're not going to disrupt the defence. So... Yeah, I think I think those two things have really translated well. Obviously, the hardest thing for me to adapt with is that's pretty much all an upper body sport. The only thing you do with your legs is run. Um, so the kicking aspect was something that it took me uh, probably a good couple of seasons to really, I guess, get any good at kicking. Um, and then the last couple of years, I've been able to, yeah, work even harder on it and fine-tune it a little bit more and, and really improve my kicking in that aspect. As you were playing in 2015, of course, it was um, still being thought the AFLW might not start to 2020 until later that year was brought forward to 2017. And before Craig Starcevich was named as Lions coach, it was actually head of high performance uh, for female footy there at AFL Queensland. When did Craig first bring you into the Queensland Academy system, which would then obviously prepare you for AFLW? Yes, I think it was the end of my first season playing um uh, club football in Queensland um, and I honestly had no idea that there was even a women's league in the works I didn't know that they'd planned to have an AFLW I wasn't really playing for anything apart from enjoyment at that stage um, and then Craig sort of I guess brought me into the Queensland Academy at the end of the 2015 season um, and then that was the first that I'd even heard that there was a possibility of there being a women's um, league for AFL um, so it wasn't really it was never on the horizons until I guess the league was named that it was starting in 2017. Um, and then because I was in all the pathways that needed to be, then I, I got drafted at the end of 2016 to lead into the 2017 season. But yeah, it wasn't like I sort of changed over into AFL with the view of playing um, at that level. It was just really an enjoyment thing and I really loved the sport. So yeah, it was just, I think everything happened kind of at the right time for me to be playing in the league and there's obviously girls that have played their whole life or played other sports because there was no pathway that came back to football. And it's, it's really great for them to have the opportunity to play in the women's league now.
You're taken as pick number 82 in that draft. How did uh, preparing for that first pre-season through AFLW, that training load, how did that compare to when you were representing Australia in touch football? Um, it's super different. I mean, the stuff that we do in touch is really short and sharp and super high intensity. So the longer running, I think, was something that I had to adjust to quite quickly um, because obviously it's a far more aerobic sport than touch football. Um, but I was just really loving it and really excited about the opportunity. So I think my first preseason was probably pretty easy in regards to that because I think the whole thing was just new and it was really exciting. And, and I see a lot of the girls now at St Kilda that are in that same position. This is their first preseason and it's just also exciting to them, which is it's really infectious and it's, it's great to see. And you kind of feed off that as well. 2017 was a heck of a year for you, not only making your debut in the AFLW and you're a name that burst onto the scene, particularly with your running goal up there in Queensland, but from the state league perspective, for you, honours taking out the QWAFL best and fairest, and after the heartache of a, a two-point loss to Gatatui, which unfortunately I called uh, the previous year, Yeronga South Brisbane finally got the chockies and won the flag in 2017. Yeah, it was great. It was obviously a good um, coming off the back of AFLW the first season. It was really good to take that experience back in, into the club land there and um, I guess be able to play a little bit more of a leadership role at club football um, and help to develop other girls. And Yeah, we had a really, really even team that year and, and we were able to win the premiership, which was really exciting, obviously, coming off the back of a loss in, in the AFLW grand final as well to be able to have that success was yeah, it was good to sort of, I guess, feel that again. How do you reflect back on the two grand finals that you win, 2017 and 2018? There were both quite close losses there in the AFLW, and obviously the side has broken up after that time. Last year, some wanted to come down to Melbourne originally, and of course, as expected, has happened. Gold Coast has come along, so a big chunk have gone across to there. Was it perhaps a missed opportunity for, for such a talented group that was together for those first two years? Yeah, I think in the first year, no one really expected us to do any well at all. We were really underrated. And then going into the second year, we were still pretty underrated as well. And I think um, a few things sort of fell into our place in that second year for us to be able to make the final again. Um, and yeah, I think that first final, I think the first goal from Adelaide was kicked within like 16 seconds. So I think straight away we knew that we were going to be up against it but we fought really hard to get back into the game and I think losing both games by five points I mean there are little things that can happen in a game that can go your way or go the other team's way and at the end of the day in both finals we just didn't get over the line which was bitterly disappointing and I mean as a team we I think we regrouped really well after both losses um, and were able to sort of get ourselves in a point where even in season three, we only, I think if we won our last round game, we would have been in contention to play finals again. So, I mean, we were a really close-knit team and, and a talented group, and it was disappointing that we couldn't get over the line. And, yeah, I guess things have changed now up in Brisbane, and the team is looking very different up there. But I think the two years or three years that I've spent at Brisbane were really, really valuable to me as a, as a player. And being able to develop has been really important. And, and now I've obviously got the opportunity down here in Melbourne to, to play some footy for the Saints as well, which is really exciting. 
Uh, from as early as 2018, there was whispers and speculations that you might be looking at making a move down to the world's most livable city. Uh, at what stage did you finally make that decision and what triggered it to say, I want to come down to Victoria? Um, I actually had no real... I was really happy at the Lions and I wasn't really looking at going anywhere else, to be honest. Um, and I, I think just... I don't know. I, I got a call from St Kilda when I was in the re-signing period last year. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I was really happy at the Lions and I wasn't really looking to go anywhere else. And St Kilda kind of approached me with a bit of an offer that was I couldn't really refuse really at the time compared to what was going on at Brisbane. And I thought that I'd sort of lived in Brisbane my whole life. Um, and, I mean, I'd always thought that I might move somewhere else, whether it was for work or for other aspects of life and yeah I really saw it as a, a really good opportunity to grow as a person and to get away from home and they offered me a job in in a department where I'm really looking to develop in that side of things with the media and I mean for me post football like football's obviously hardly even paying the bills at stage so for us we need we need stuff outside of football as well so it wasn't purely a football-based decision it was a decision to help set me up for, for the rest of my life and, and a post-football career as well. And, yeah, it seemed like a really great club and I was really excited at, at the opportunity at starting somewhere new and being able to, I guess, help to form a new culture at a brand-new club, which is something that's really unique. I mean, not many people get the opportunity to play football at a club and then go to a new club, which they can help develop and, and really have a hand in deciding what they want the club to look like. So that was something that was super appealing to me as well. We'll come back to the on-field matters in just a moment, but let's talk about off-field and your media work because you had done media work previously up in Queensland with Southern Cross Austereo. Uh, yeah, so I'm still sort of doing a little bit of that. I think I'll be commentating a little bit on the women's games as well for them on the boundary. Um, and I guess... Up in Brisbane, you get one game of football every two weeks, whereas in Melbourne, you get multiple games every weekend. So um, there's a lot more opportunity down here for that, uh, whether it's commentary or other football shows and things like that. So I guess that really presented another huge opportunity as well. Let's talk about your role in the media department. We've already seen you do a bit of uh, on-camera work and one or two articles. Can you give us a bit of a uh, a day-to-day insight of a typical week of Kate McCarthy in the media department at St Kilda? Yeah, so obviously um, I know a lot of the, the girls very well. So I do a lot of the women's pieces for the website um, and everything like that. And just at the moment recording um, a new podcast that we're going to be launching soon, um, which is not just a football podcast, but we're interviewing a lot of, I guess, high-profile women that are owning it in their space. So whether they're politicians, musicians, um, other sports um, athletes as well. So we're launching that soon as well. So that's... That's really exciting. And then, yeah, obviously writing a few articles and getting things ready for, for the website and for other various aspects of social media. So that's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades master of none at the moment, but just learning as much as I can um, to help set me up for, yeah, post-football. As you mentioned, you're doing boundary writing. There's actually very few uh, uh, women play-by-play callers. We think, of course, of Kelly Underwood at uh, the ABC, Joe Watton with Croc Media, our own Lucy Watkin. Will you make the step up one day to taking on play-by-play commentary? Yeah, I'd love to. It's definitely something that I'd love to get into. So if the opportunity arose, then, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say no to doing that. Um, 
at the moment, just sort of working my way through. I did a little bit of special comments last year, which I really enjoyed um, to be able to analyze that side of the game. And I did that alongside Simon Black. So he's probably one of the best in the business at that. And being able to hear and learn from experience is, yeah, really exciting. So yeah, definitely wouldn't say no to having a go at play-by-play. I don't know how good I'd be, but I'd definitely give it a a crack. So let's turn back to on-field matters for uh, St Kilda. I guess the, the big thing that everyone's been looking at with St Kilda is, unlike some of the other sides, let's say Richmond, for example, where it's all been about the big names that they've dragged in, the comment about St Kilda is it's it's not big names, it's just consistent, good, ordinary footballers. Is Peter Sill putting together a plan of such as plug-and-play, anyone can fill any role? 100%, yeah, for sure. We're a very even team, I mean, coming into team selection for this weekend, I wouldn't have a clue who, who we're going to go with because we're all so even and all so consistent. Um, we all have different things that are our strengths, whether we have um, a number of tools in our forward line, number of really good runoff defenders, some really, really quick, speedy players, and then other players that can just run all day. So I think from that aspect, we've just got a whole heap of girls that are very competitive in their aspects, but they also have their own... If everyone plays for those, then, yeah, I think we'll be a very competitive team. You've gone with three co-captains, Rhiannon Watt, Kate Shearlaw and Kat Phillips. To you personally, what stands out about their leadership qualities? Um, I think they all bring different things to the leadership group as well, and I think that's why we've gone with three. Um, We've gone with a model that's basically a big collaborative um, aspect of it so that I think everyone can, yeah, contribute different things. So if people are comfortable to talk to any of them, then that's what we go with. And they're obviously wonderful people. And I think that's why they've got, I guess, their opportunity as a leader of the team. And yeah, I think that's that's really what we're building here is a whole team of, of good human beings as well as good footballers. And that's why it's such a nice place to come and train and, and really feels like it's we're building towards something pretty special. Now, I know this is a tough question. It's like asking your parent to name their favourite child. But when you look at your side, who's really impressed you out of the preseason that's probably stood up that, I'm not saying that you were underestimating them, but you thought, well, this person is going to be something special? Um, I don't know. I think through our midfield, um, Liv Vesely's been really, really impressive. Um, She was great in our trial match against Gold Coast, Um, won a lot of her own footy. Obviously, having played a fair bit alongside Matt Exxon at the Lions, um, she's someone that I really respect on field and is very impressive as well. Um, we have a, a bit of an unknown um, weapon, I would think, in Kelly O'Neill, who's a really tall, um, really athletic player as well. Um, super tall, but can win a ground ball as well, one-on-one, and hardly ever gets beaten, which is really great. And she can play on the wing or float back in defence. Um and sort of up forward, we've got Caitlin Greiser who could probably kick the ball the furthest of anyone in the competition. So if she gets a mark outside 50, I wouldn't be surprised if she slotted it. Um, and then we've also got Kat Phillips who runs out wide and, and can get into space and really deliver the ball nicely to our forwards. So, and obviously our, our first draft draft pick, Georgia Patricios, has been amazing. Um, her foot skills, she's just a, a natural footballer who's been really, really impressive and and I guess I wish I'd kind of played football my whole life as well, like she has, and um, was as impressive as her with the boot. But yeah, she's a very, very classy footballer. 
And I'm glad that you named uh, Patrikios because uh, she did very well for Essendon, the couple of games that she played in the VFLW for them coming out of the Calder Cannons. Interested to hear your thoughts on a couple of 18-year-olds uh, that were pre-signed by the Saints before everyone else came onto the list in Molly McDonald and Isabella Shannon. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a massive achievement for them to get pre-listed, which is huge considering they're 18-year-olds and there was so many other girls in, I guess, looking for that position. Um, and, yeah, they've been great. Bella's, like, a little quiet achiever. She just goes about her business and works really hard, and she's she's a great defender, and, and when she gets her opportunity, she will definitely hold it in both hands and, and play really well um, and is very impressive. And, and Molly's a, a great – I mean, she's a left-footer, so everyone wants a few left-footers in their team to get the ball on the outside, um, runs it really hard down the wing and, and also lays – some really, really good hard tackles and is very competitive. So both of those girls for 18-year-olds have been very impressive um, and will definitely play well at AFLW level. Now, I know my arm would be twisted badly if I didn't ask this question from uh, the AFL Island women's crew. Uh, Clara Fitzpatrick, who, of course, was recruited off the VFLW list, been in Australia for a couple of years now. The Irish woman, how has she been performing in pre-season? Oh, she's been awesome. She's just... I guess she's a great person to have around the club. She's hilarious, um, goes about her business really well and, and helps to pick up the vibe at training. But, yeah, she's very hard to beat one-on-one -on -one in a contest. Um, she played on Taylor Harris in our practice game and, and did a really, really good job. So she'll be someone that I think if a forward that is really dynamic or athletic for the other team, I think she'll always get a job on them and that she competes so hard. Um and, yeah, she's a very, very impressive footballer for someone that hasn't been playing AFL for too long. Now, I want to know if the following is truth or myth, that when it okay. was known that you'd be going from the Brisbane Lions to the Saints, that Craig Starshevich said, if you're going to play under any coach, play under Peter Searle. Um, that's myth, but I think he has a lot of respect for Peter as well. He didn't exactly say that, but, yeah, I think he's he has a lot of respect for Peter and... She's obviously a wonderful coach and I'm super happy to be down here and to be learning off her. And I think as a female, it's great to have a female coach as well. And obviously, as you played in that first inaugural season with the Brisbane Lions, how did both programs stack up in their preparedness? Obviously, everyone was still feeling their way a bit, every club for that matter, in the inaugural season. How far along are the Saints compared to where the Lions were at? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think um, the Saints have the luxury of knowing what the competition looks like and having three years of being able to sort of sit back and watch, whereas at the Lions it was all brand new and we had no idea what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. So I think from that perspective, they've had definitely had an advantage of the clubs that started from year one. At the same token, though, a lot of the clubs that started from year one have all played together now for three years. So going into their fourth season of football, they know what to expect. And, and we have so many girls that have no idea what what AFL women's football is like and, and how it goes and what a game day looks like and just how to prepare and things like that. So, yeah, look, program-wise, I think they've done a really good job down here to try and learn from what's worked at other clubs and what maybe hasn't. Um, and that's a luxury that we have with so many girls that have played at other clubs to be able to yeah, go through what works and what what possibly didn't at their old club. 
Now, Peter has tried to play down round one a bit because it can be a nervous occasion, the inaugural AFLW debut match, not only for the Saints, but obviously for the Tigers, Suns and Eagles. On the outer sanctum, she actually mentioned, uh, she told the squad, it's not a grand final, it's just round one of a season. But yourself, how are you feeling? How is the squad feeling coming into this history-making day at Moorabbin, taking on the Bulldogs this Sunday? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge feel being at the club and, and working at the club as well. You get to feel how excited the whole club is about such a momentous occasion. I mean, for us, it's not only our first game as, I guess, Saints women's players. It's also the first game that's back at RSEA Park that, I guess, is bringing football home to Moorabbin. Um, a lot of the Saints fans are super excited about that because it's such a historic moment for them and they have memories of watching men run around at, at Moorabbin and, and play football in Saints colours so I think that even adds another aspect of excitement and I guess another aspect of history as well um, and yeah there's I think a little bit of nervous energy in the group as to who's going to get picked for round one which is good because we do have such a competitive group and I think that competition is is really really healthy and really important within the group as well Um but yeah, I think overall everyone is so excited and it's come around so quickly and it is a really, really exciting occasion. I think something that girls need to just take a little bit of time on, on Sunday to really let that sink in at the start of the match and, and feel everything that they're going to feel because it's something that will never happen again. And for yourself, Kate, uh, personally, how are you feeling? How's the body? Because we know during the VFLW finals campaign, when we called the Saints matches, uh, your shoulder copped a bit of a whack in the game against uh, Collingwood and you needed the injections to get up in, in that semi-final against Melbourne Uni. How's the body feeling after that full preseason? Yeah, really good, actually. I think um, I'm kind of expecting the point. I'm getting a little bit older now and I'm, I'm expecting the point where preseason hurts more. But each preseason that I kind of go through, I feel stronger and stronger and, and less sore so I'm sure in the next few years it'll start to plateau and I'll start to go back the other way but I'm um, feeling really good at the moment and I'm really excited about playing uh, in the first game for the St Kilda Football Club in the women's department as well and like I mean it's a very unique position I've played three seasons of football now and I feel like I'm about to pull on the jumper for the first time and, and play my first game again which is Really, really exciting, and yeah, I just I can't wait to get out there and and just see all these unknown footballers from our club perform and and see the the AFL community really get around them and and realise how good they are at football and how good we can be as a team. On that point, do we expect to see a different style of football from Kate McCarthy, knowing that when you played in Queensland, it was very much a copy of the WA game, outside running football. Do we expect a different role from you, considering the more corridor-based football, inside football, that is the Victorian game? Um, no, look, I don't think I'm ever going to be a super good inside footballer. I think I'm a lot better out in space, but... um. I think I've worked really, really hard in the off-season and in the last couple of seasons on my defensive efforts. So whether I'm getting the ball or not, I really want to try and make an impact as much as I can, um, especially as a small forward. I mean, like any tackles you can lay inside the forward 50 or chase down tackles and things like that can be really, really vital at lifting the team. And, yeah, I really want to be a really strong uh, defensive player inside that forward 50 and playing alongside the likes of Jess Sedgenry, who is probably one of the hardest at the football. I've really sort of sat back and watched her through pre-season and, and tried to, I guess, 
mirror her efforts inside the forward 50 at just being a bulldozer and, and trying to lock the ball in as much as you can and lay as many tackles as you can. So, yeah, I'd say from that aspect, just look out a little bit more defensive-wise and obviously if the ball gets out in space, I'll just be trying to do what I usually do and get on the end of it. And one last question, Kate, before we let you go, as we ask everyone that's played AFLW, what does it mean to you personally if you sit down at the computer, you type in your name, and it comes up on Google and it says, Kate McCarthy, AFLW footballer? Oh, I think that means more to probably, I mean, from that aspect, it means more to me for the young girls that are able to see players like me, see all my teammates running around and, I guess now it's been, this is the fourth season that we're going into it and it just gets more and more normal that there are women playing football and that they too can play from, I guess, Auskick all the way through now and there's nothing stopping them from playing football their whole life. And I guess if you can see it, you can be it. And for me, that's that's always the thing that, that leaves the lasting impact is the legacy that we can leave on on those girls. And not just the young girls, the young boys who see us running around and, Perhaps their favourite footballer is a female player as well as a male player or they see it as completely normal for the girls to be kicking a footy at lunchtime with them at school. And, yeah, that's that's the thing that really, really excites me and, and is the thing that inspires me to, to play and motivates me to keep training hard and to keep working hard. Well, Kate, thank you very much for being so generous with your time and joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Saints all the very best this Sunday at RSCA Park as you take on the Bulldogs for the first ever Saints game for AFLW Premiership points. No worries at all. And, yeah, make sure you get down to RSCA Park on Sunday to cheer on the Mighty Saints. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Women's Australian Rules Football podcast on RSN Carnival coming up right after this. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football you're on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne and you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. On the way, we've got Michael Corain, the head of the AFL Island Women's Competition, to talk about the Cork Cup. But first, to our newest segment. Side that cool. You got any more questions? Question of the week. In your eyes, is Katie Brennan the hero or the villain? During the 2019 AFLW trade and free agency period, the Richmond Football Club landed a big fish, then Western Bulldogs co-captain Katie Brennan. For the Tigers, they knew with KB they had a face of the franchise, a captain and a hero for their supporters to follow. However, for supporters of the Western Bulldogs, a bitterness came to the surface, with a player they'd supported through injury and suspension walking out for a bigger pay packet. The days following the trade saw arguments break out on social media between those arguing about loyalty and those arguing arguing for a semi-professional footballer deserving a better payday. Emotions ran high, and that is actually a good thing for Katie Brennan 
and the AFLW. As wrestling commentator Jim Ross once said, if you get people emotionally invested in your product, you win. The AFLW could learn a little from the world of professional wrestling or sports entertainment, as the WWE dubs it. To get eyes on a feature match, people talking and writing about it, tickets and pay-per-views sold, you need a solid babyface and a polarising heel, or goody versus baddie in layman's terms. A babyface versus babyface only works one in a thousand times, and that's where we're at right now in the AFLW. For the fourth year in a row, the same boring, aren't we inspirational promotion. That type of promotion doesn't generate articles or fire up the talkback lines during the season. However, if Katie Brennan was to embrace the role of the perceived villain where the Tiger faithful loves her and the opposition supporters loathe her, that gets attention. The best example of this was Hawthorne's Dermot Berriton, a cocky, arrogant, but bloody good footballer that was loved by Hawke supporters and loathed by everyone else. Dermot used the perceived villain role to his advantage both on and off the field. And I believe Katie Brennan could do that as well for both herself and more importantly, the league. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival for the first time in 2020, all the way from Ireland. It's great to have on the line the head of AFL Ireland Women's. That's Michael Curran. Michael, how are you? Very good, Peter. Great to be back chatting to you in the new year and a big football year ahead across 2020. And you guys have already kicked off through the uh, Irish winter with a couple of games, the Cork Cup. Yeah, we, we've had our AFL Ireland Women's inaugural Cork Cup over the last two weeks. Um, it's a new competition uh, based down in the south, featuring two teams from Cork. Uh, obviously, we're looking to expand the game uh, in Cork and the surrounding areas. So we had Cork Vikings, uh, who we know from our, our last couple of years competitions. And we had UCC Crusaders, who are UCC University team. So um, these guys have been training over the last few months and culminated in having a two-leg Cork Cup and we were very fortunate to be able to play the games at Irish Independent Park, which is one of Cork's iconic um, venues and the home of Munster Rugby. So uh, it was a fantastic occasion all around. Would I be correct in saying this would be the first AFL Island women's games under lights? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I hadn't even uh, thought of that myself. But yeah, the first game stayed under floodlights. Uh, first game played midweek for, for the women's. Yeah, so there was a... A lot of boxes ticked there in, in terms of um, hitting some new achievements. So that was fantastic. And for the uh, UCC uh, Crusaders, they ended up taking out the overall competition 9-12-66 to Cork Vikings 4-19-43. But that's the aggregate score. I believe it was split 1-1. It was, Pete. Yeah, so we had two legs. The first leg was on uh, Thursday the 23rd of January. And in that game... Um, UCC took that one out on a score of six goals, six behind, 42 to Cork Vikings, one goal, six, 12. Um, so UCC would have had a 30 points lead on aggregate from the first night. And in that first game, we had some uh, UCC goals, Fiona Hannon with two, Evelyn O'Keefe, Kira Corbett, Rachel Murphy and Caroline Condon. And then we had Annie Walsh um, getting a goal for Cork Vikings. And Annie's a new player there and went on to take the overall best on ground um, on the night for the, the first leg of the first leg. So then fast forward one week later, um, the second leg on Thursday, the 30th of January. Um, this time, uh, Vikings took the game, which was fantastic for the series. Uh, really close affair. Um, the overall score on the second leg was 
Vikings, three goals, 13 behinds, 31. UCC Crusaders, three goals, six behinds, 24. Um, so the goals for Vikings were uh, Annie Walsh, um, Melissa Bell and Ruth Murphy. And for UCC, we had Kira Corbett with two and one of their new players, um, Caitlin. So on the night, um, on the second night, best on ground overall was Kira Corbett um, for UCC Crusaders. And we actually had um, an overall best and fairest award for the competition, which ended in a tie between Annie Walsh, Cork Vikings, and Kira Corbett, UCC Crusaders, both new players. So fantastic to see those girls doing so well. So yeah, as you said, the overall aggregate score, UCC 9-12-66, Vikings 4-19-48. So a great result overall. And that's a good warm-up for the UCC Crusaders because they've got the Fitzpatrick Cup coming up. Exactly, yeah. That was part of the, the thought process behind the timing, etc., was to get some warm-up games. So UCC actually heads to Oxford this Friday morning. I'm heading over with the team to coach them in this year's Fitzpatrick Cup. So really exciting that they've been able to get two good hit-outs under their belt. That was the only two games they will have played uh, as a team. But it's been very beneficial. And the team uh, heading to Fitzpatrick Cup this year as a whole is a, is a new squad. Uh, the original UCC team, which would have won uh, Fitzpatrick Cups back in 2017 and 18, would all, bar two, have graduated now. So really this was starting from scratch. And with a whole new bunch of girls heading to Oxford. Uh, so it's really exciting to see how they go. And in the women's competition over there, uh, UCC Crusaders will be facing up against uh, Oxford, Cambridge and uh, University of Birmingham. So that should be a great day of uh, uni's footing. So let's look ahead to AFLW. It all kicks off this weekend. A big year for Irish women's football. Now, 18 Irish women were signed to contracts. Uh, one won't be playing this season. Anya Tai is out uh, through an ACL injury. Uh, sad news for her. We're hoping that she'll be back in 2021. But exciting to see your program go from essentially five or six players last year to tripling in size. Absolutely, Peter. It's phenomenal. Um, it's, it's fantastic to see the hitting girls signed, 17 players hitting out next weekend. Hopefully, we're devastated here for Anya, of course. Um, she would have been my tip for the standout Irish player of the competition. So uh, it's a huge personal blow for her. Uh, it's a big blow for the Dockers. And further down the line, of course, it's a blow for Irish Banshees with our competitions coming up over the summer. But I've already been on to Anya, and she's getting huge support around the club. Um, and she's already talking about being back in the purple for 2021. So we wish her the best, and we cannot wait to see that. But yeah, what about it? 17 girls on list? Hopefully, um, most of those, if not all of them, will get a run out on the weekend. We're looking forward to seeing the, the team sheet. The team sheet. Um, but already the interest here is, is really peaking. You know, across the two practice round games, we've had people tuning in, um, asking where they can watch it, asking for scores, and. It's, it's going to be an absolute pleasure, um, if not a bit of a logistical nightmare, to try and keep track on all of the girls and how they're going. And we're going to, along with yourselves, of course, we're going to try and do that here on AFL Ireland Women's as well to keep everybody here at home up to speed. But yeah, huge excitement. And I think everybody's really looking forward to round one, uh, first ball up. Well, Michael, thank you very much again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you soon to keep a track of the Irish women in the AFLW, but more importantly, the women's game being played over there in Ireland. Thanks, Pete. Looking forward to keeping in touch with you across the season. Don't go anywhere. Coach Kiwi and her AFLW kiss of death is coming up next. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. 
Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. It's back for another year, presented by the Sweet Kicks Football Academy. We are talking about Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. And we should plug, by the way, Coach Kiwi is now co-hosting a radio program Tuesday nights in Sydney called The Coat Hanger. Just look out for it on all your social media sites. It's great to have back on the line Coach Kiwi. Coach, how are you? I am very good. We're having some cool weather in uh, Sydney at the moment, so a few days up here to launch the new radio show. It's a different uh, change of scenery, but it's going good. Well, Coach Kiwi's kiss of death is back for another year, hopefully a bit better this year. But as we go through game by game, Coach Kiwi, there's a few things that are going to throw a a spanner in the works of some of the sides. But I'm going to begin, first of all, we, we are kicking off round one back on a Friday again. We didn't do it on a Friday last year. It's on a Friday this year. Richmond versus Carlton. Now, as much as I say Richmond first, it's their home game, but not really their home game because it's being played at Icon Park, 7.45 p.m. Friday night. Yes, I suppose the big question everyone's lips is who gets to go on the home changing sheds? But, um, you know, we're, uh, we had... We had a funny story last year at our grand final with the VFLW grand final Collingwood were in the home shed and Brianna Davies, out of just pure routine, went to her locker. I mean, it's not a locker anymore and she just wondered why her clothes went there. But, um, yes, yeah, so, so it'll be interesting to see how they set that up to um, either give Carlton that familiarity or actually give Richmond the home game kind of feel. The one big piece of news is Mon Conti playing for Richmond. It was anticipated that she could have missed anywhere from three to five games, depending on commitments with the Boomers. But instead, she has been released from her WNBL contract and she will, uh, without injury, be playing the full season for the Tigers. Yes, that's a huge, huge end for Richmond and I'm certain all their fans will be very excited at the news and and um, and on by the same token, the Blues fans will now be probably shaking a little bit more. But um, you know, she had a really good BFLW season, and she's a very handy player, and certainly a huge end for Richmond. And of course, it's the first look we get for Premiership points to see Carlton without the mentioned uh, Bree Davy. But we also get to see thrown into the midfield for the first time Lucy McAvoy, that highly touted footballer out of the Geelong Falcons program. Yes, certainly. You know, last year we were excited to see the young Maddie Prisparkis run around. I think this year's just another bit of excitement of this young person coming in and the talent that's coming through for these young players. And, you know, I'm certain McAvoy's going to link up with Prisparkis and go really well through that midfield area. First of all, I'm going to get that tip from you. Who will win and by how much? Okay, really, um, I put this down to having... um, Clean kicking skills of Katie Brennan coming out of the midfield, linking up with Long Conti, uh, the big forwards of the Sabs playing up in Richmond. I'm going to actually tip Richmond by 10. Sorry, Blues fans. For the record, I'm going to go for the Blues. Um, they're away, but at home, if that makes sense, by six points. But I will ask you a secondary question to it. 
will there be a lockout? Will we get to that 25,000 mark? Yeah, well, there's a lot of interest uh, without a doubt. And I think it's a good time to start the game. You know, there's another game coming up and I think it starts around five-ish, which will really impact those who have a full day job. So um, being the location probably that we're being staffed with some football recently there's, um, and being in Melbourne and back to the Friday night, I'm certain it's going to be a pretty packed crowd and they've got a contingency plan. So if you don't make it in, you've got the atmosphere outside the stadium. So um, I don't want people to get there early because I am and I want a seat. But yes, I think it's going to be a huge crowd. Gates open 6pm this Friday night. Three games on Saturday, the 8th of February. Let's begin with your GWS Giants versus the Gold Coast Suns, 1.10pm at Blacktown International Sports Park. This is the first game for Premiership points for the Gold Coast Suns. They've announced their captains, Sam Virgo and Lee Kasler. They've got Tiana Ernst on the side, who, of course, was formerly out of the Western Bulldogs. The Giants, pretty much a familiar-looking side. They recruit a lot of their uh, uh, talent that played in the VWFL Invitational Series. Beck Provitelli's back. The one key out, though, who you spoke with on the coach Hanger radio show was uh, one Amanda Ferrugia, who of course has retired at least from AFLW. Yes, uh, that was heartbreaking to um, hear about her retirement. I'm just a huge fan of her, played with her, just think she's a great person anyway. Without a doubt, um, you know, she will still, her, her inspiration for the team will continue, even if she's not there in the sheds. And there's a big chance she'll be in the shed cheering them on anyway. Um, but yeah, I think um, on field, they've got enough talent right across that park. And probably the strength for the Gold Coast, I feel, is through their back line. But having said that, I think the Giants have got just enough forwards to, um, to exploit some holes in there and, and get in a few goals. So again, your tip and by how much? Okay, I'm going to give the Giants the win and um, I reckon this will probably be the biggest game the biggest scoreline for round one I'm going to stay there up by 21 points Let's go to the second game on the Saturday, 3.10pm at Casey Fields and may I say for the people who do the fixture I understand why they put Carlton Richmond as the opening game because the bigger supporter bases but in my opinion this should have been the Friday night game I think this is the best game of the round Melbourne versus the Kangaroos. The Kangaroos are looking near full strength. Melbourne have got back one Daisy Pierce, but as we mentioned the other week, they're missing Bianca Jacobson, who's uh, uh, stepped aside because of her career. Uh, Sloan is out with an ACL. Smith out with an ACL. Uh, Lauren Pierce won't be back for um, three or four weeks. But despite that, with Pierce. Paxman and O'Day in the engine room. Is Melbourne strong enough to go the distance with the Kangaroos? Without a doubt, I agree. They are strong enough to go the distance. I've watched both these teams in practice games and impressed by both, actually. Um, Melbourne have also got a a young McAvoy who uh, got plenty of touches on the ball against Collingwood and showed um, some real pace as well. Um, so she's, you know, an exciting one to watch. She played a little bit more on the forward line, a bit taller than um, Carlton's McAvoy. Um, North, they were super quick moving the ball around the park. And if they can force that turnover, because I feel that the midfield is going to be really dominant for the Demons. So 
kangaroos are going to have to exploit other ways of getting this football and putting it into their hands. And I reckon their speed uh, is going to drive the ball forward for them. But I do feel it's going to be a close game. Yep. I'm tipping North Melbourne by two. North Melbourne by two. Wowzers. I think they might win by a bit more. I'll go three goals. But North Melbourne is the tip. Finally on Saturday, this is the last of Saturday's three games, at 5.10pm local time, uh, the Brisbane Lions versus the Adelaide Crows uh, at uh, Hickey Park. Uh, this, of course, is the two sides that played off in the first ever AFLW Grand Final in 2017. The Adelaide Crows are officially an injury ward. They've only got something like 23, 24 fit players to choose from for their 21. The Brisbane Lions, as we know, were gutted. A bunch of their players have gone to the Gold Coast. And they get Jess Wuchner back, who missed their practice game, after being struck by lightning. Yeah, no, um, she did a different way to us. We were inside a car, went up to us, holding onto a pole. Probably um, oh, something I'm not really keen to try. Um, but, you know, I think it's amazing she survived it. Gee, what a fright that would have given anyone. Um, so good on her for coming back. And, um, you know, perhaps you know, we'll see some lightning skills from her on, the, on uh, Saturday's game. She is an electrifying player. Without a doubt, electrifying. And of course, we see you can light up the forty line. <laughs> we see a lot of youngsters as well in for the uh, Brisbane side uh, through the uh, recruiting of Craig Starcevich. Uh, they actually picked up a former Adelaide player, as we know, and Rianne Lug. Um, they did get humbled though by the GWS Giants when they only kicked three points. But if I recall correctly, it was about a about two years ago. I think the Brisbane Lions got easily accounted for by GWS in a five quarter practice game but we're going to make the grand final so read into that what you will well exactly you know um brisbane have this kind of habit of not lifting or not playing or perhaps are trying different things in the practice game and um, copping quite a walloping and then round one they've just gone out and um made the changes and made the right changes or players and you know perhaps the right positions and and done the damage on the scoreboard and got some big wins. And, you know, one of them was a bit of payback to the Giants who, um, yeah, smashed them in a practice. And then when it actually counted, they uh, they got the points. So um, this one for me was a little bit tricky because of that and because of the injuries in Adelaide. But I think, um, you know, with the, you know, even with Aaron out, with Chelsea out, um, Rhiannon out, I still think Adelaide have probably got enough players across the board that continue to play that kind of dominant football and real physical football that they're known for. So I'm going Adelaide just by one goal. I am going to go for the Brisbane Lions by four points because uh, not only was Chelsea Randall out and Erin Phillips out, you're throwing Chloe Shear out. Danny Van Hagen is also out as well. Um, I know that they did beat Fremantle in a practice game, but... I look at it and I go, Brisbane up there in the heat. I just think Brisbane uh, will get the chocolates. Let's go across to Sunday football. Um, we begin with the early game, Collingwood versus the West Coast Eagles. 1.10pm at Victoria Park. Uh, the West Coast Eagles making uh, their debut in the competition. Of course, you're very familiar with the Collingwood Football Club helping in their coaching program uh, last year in the VFLW. Do the Pies get an early win on the board or do we see a surprise? from the Eagles, who when they last came to Melbourne last week against Richmond, uh, went down comfortably to the Tigers. 
Yeah, you know, even though they uh, went down to the Tigers on the scoreboard, it looked big, but the actual game itself looked quite close. And they had a lot of possession and had a lot of really good aspects around the ground that they um, sort of dominated in areas. And I'm certain they'll go back and polish up the other areas that they um, were beaten. Um, So I'm expecting quite a tough West Coast. Having said that, it is Collingwood at home. And I do think this is a Collingwood team we've not seen before. I, I just think that, you know, how they've gone AF, other AFLW seasons is not how they're going to go again. And um, I'm certain they're all familiar playing at Victoria Park. They're all familiar how easy it is to drive up, get your coffee in the morning rather than fly across the country. And um, I'm going to go Collingwood by 12. I'll join you on that home ground advantage. Collingwood, by the same margin, 12 points. I think Collingwood are going to have a very inconsistent year, but uh, I can see them uh, accounting for the Eagles, who, are, again, are just gelling being a new side. Let's have a look at the second game on the Sunday, 3.10pm at RSCA Park, otherwise known as Moorabbin. St Kilda versus the Western Bulldogs. Boy, is this game going to tell us a lot. A lot of youngsters on the list now at the Western Bulldogs. I think they've got the youngest list going around in the AFLW. Former St Kilda legend Nathan Burke is coaching the Bulldogs up against St Kilda, who, to be honest, if you look at St Kilda's list, their biggest name is probably Kate McCarthy. After it, it's a lot of solid, good footballers, names that we know, but ones that you wouldn't call tier one or marquee level. But their coach is definitely of marquee level in Peter Searle. This is an interesting proposition. This is like uh, your maturish uh, early 20s, mid-20s combination of footballers who aren't stars but are solid players versus up-and-coming, exciting young stars of the Western Bulldogs? Certainly, um, you know, I think um, Pete's probably out of this world when it comes to marquee coaches and with her knowledge of female football. And, you know, I'm sure she she's proven that in the last couple of seasons and how she's developed a very young St Kilda side in the VFL. Um, and, you know, Berkey was with her for a season or a couple of seasons down at St Kilda. So he would have a really good insight of how she coaches and what she does as well. Um, by all accounts, the Bulldogs, uh, being so young, yes. But I think because Berkey was the um, under-18 Vic Metro coach, I think he's got a special insight into these young players and how well they can do. Um, so I'm certain, you know, he's probably taking you know, the, the cream of the bunch, really, and put them into a fairly experienced Bulldog team, you know, who, who did win only a couple of seasons ago. And, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a really exciting game. It'd be good to just um, for St Kilda fans to have a game back at Moorabbin. Um, and, you know, the whole um, um, culture and the whole excitement of playing a home game out there will be huge. So hopefully the girls won't get overawed with the atmosphere and I'm certain Pete will be able to, um, remind them that they're there to play football rather than soak it up too much. And um, and by the same token, I'm sure Berkey will be able to tell them how to um, win out at Morabin Park, you know, a place where he's probably pretty much grown up at, as a young man and uh, retired and then gone back as a coach. So he's very familiar with the surroundings out there. But, um, you know, I think this is going to be a really, really close game. Who's your tip and by how much? Yes, it's a tricky one. Um, I'm actually going to lean towards the Bulldogs by a goal. I'm going to go 
St Kilda by nine points in a high-scoring game. I like what the Bulldogs were doing against Geelong in their practice game, but Petersell's team at home, and I like the headspace that she's got them in. I heard on the Outer Sanctum in an interview where she mentioned that she's been telling her players, don't call this game one. She's saying, this is just round one of a regular season. This is not a grand final. It's round one. It's not a grand final. So I like how she's putting them at ease. Saints for me. And the final game of the round. It's so weird that we're talking seven games now in an AFLW season, 5.10 p.m. Uh, that's my time, should I say. That's, uh, that means local time in Perth would be about 2.10 p.m. Uh, at Fremantle Oval, it is the Dockers versus Geelong. For the Dockers, they they can't buy a ruck at the moment. Jantz out and ties out with a knee injury. Um, over at the Cats, you've got uh, All-Australian defender Meg McDonald broke a finger and she won't be back uh, for at least half a season. Um, who Who's going to win this one? Yeah, this is... Um, I almost even thought of a draw with this one. I think both teams have got some really um, pretty key outs that you know, challenging to um, cover. Uh, I really feel for Frio not being able to get a, you know, or replace their ruck under the under the rules that there are. And then they had, you know, the player injured at work um, who broke a leg and did her ACL and when she was working as a police officer and got hit by a runaway car. So it's, um, you know, they've, they've suffered some real heartache over that side of the island. But sometimes that kind of heartache is exactly what pulls the team together and they play out of their skin. So it'll be interesting if they can fly over and um, – I actually know they've got the home game. Yes. It might, yeah, it'll be interesting if they can do that and step up and take on Geelong. Uh, I think Meg Mack's a huge out in that back line. But having said that, you know, they've still got Mel Hickey, who's very handy in herself. So, um, yeah, maybe let's go Geelong by four. Very, very tough. And we're making our tips before we know the exact teams in because, uh, you know, I'd be kind of leaning to Geelong if Nina Morrison is back in the side. Uh, of course, she did her ACL um, after round one last year. Um, I am going to lean towards Fremantle at home. I think they'll get over the line in a drag-it-out low-scoring game. In fact, it might be as low as two points the difference, so the Dockers for mine. Coach Kiwi, thanks for joining us for uh, your kiss of death. Thanks to the Sweet Kicks Football Academy, and uh, cross our fingers, uh, a better start this year than last year. Yes, indeed. Let's hope no thunderstorms, no ACLs, no concussions, uh, plenty of goals, and uh, no trolls. Just plenty of positivity on social media. And that concludes the show for yet another week. Don't forget this podcast airs first Wednesday evenings, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. After that, it's available as a podcast via Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the iHeartRadio website and app. You can find us online at warfradio.com, including our question of the week. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Bye for now.